You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. We gotta live on science alone. Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer and Dr. Andrea Love. And guys, we're going to be real with you. <laughs> we are suffering from December holiday holiday fatigue right now, um, but we are going to do our best uh, to pep up because we're really excited about this episode today. We're going to be discussing what the term organic really means. Um, before we do that, let's break the ice a little bit, Andrea. Um, let's talk about New Year's Eve, which is right around the corner. Is that a big deal for you? Do you stay up to watch the ball drop? What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, once upon a time, and uh, if you can recall that party we had in West Apartments in Stony Brook where we all came back from winter break to have that New Year's Eve party, um, it used to be it used to be a big thing for me. I think the last two or three years, I've had really good intentions to stay up, you know, get a nice bottle of champagne. One year I made French 75s, which are one of my favorite cocktails. Um, but I usually end up falling asleep around 10 o'clock and uh, waking up the next morning and uh, Josh is usually disappointed in me. So <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, definitely different than it used to be. I just had major flashbacks to college. And yeah, so suffice it to say things were a little different back then. Um, it's funny, New Year's Eve has always been a very big deal for me. It's it's definitely not the party that it used to be, but I get super reflective and pensive. Um, you know, I don't know, a little melancholy. I feel like this year in particular is going to be tough. Um, I, I don't know. Some some of our listeners may know, many don't. I lost my father last year around this time. So, uh, you know, add that to a pandemic. So I feel like it's going to be <laughs> a little bit of a rough one this year. But um, but I always stay up to watch the ball drop. This year, I'll just be, you know, curled up on the couch with my family, probably watching Twilight Zone or Honeymooners or something. But feels like a special day. It's like, you know, you think about the year that passed and and you're and you're thinking about what's to come. So, it's a special day, but definitely different than it used to be. <laughs> So, okay, so let's briefly recap what we talked about last week. Um, we wrapped our four-part vaccine myth series, and I feel like we probably could have done several more episodes. But last week, we focused on the COVID-19 vaccine myth specifically. We talked about uh, how the vaccine was not rushed. That was a, that's a major misconception that things were rushed. And, and as we spoke about, um, the trials um, did not... Uh, they, nothing was skipped. It's that they were occurring concurrently um, instead of consecutively. We also talked about mRNA, how that's not a new technology, how it's been studied for decades. We debunked the myth that animal studies were not conducted. They were, in fact, conducted, and again, concurrently instead of consecutively with some of the um, clinical trials. We talked about why one dose of the vaccine is not enough. We also spent some time talking about allergies. Um, there's been a lot of concern about anaphylactic reactions, allergic reactions to the vaccine. We talked about how those are actually extremely rare and that people with allergies are still 
recommended to to get the vaccine um, as long as you know you you take precautions, right? So you're bringing your EpiPen if you have one, and if you're concerned, maybe you stick around for 30 minutes at the time of vaccination so that you could be monitored. Um, and then finally, we talked about how. Uh, it is still important to get the vaccine, even if you've already had COVID. And you did a really nice job um, talking about uh, the immunological basis for that, Andrea. Um, anything <laughs> to add? I no, I think uh, I think you really summarized it well. You know, <laughs> certainly we may end up, um, you know, going back to vaccine myths as you know new things emerge, new uh, new reports emerge, or as the COVID vaccination program progresses. But um, we're going to switch gears for a few of the next episodes. Mm-hmm. So when we wrapped our GMO myth episode, and if you haven't listened to that, we highly recommend that you go back and give it a listen. We briefly touched on the term organic. Uh, and one of the myths myths was that organics are safer than GMOs. We have a lot to say about this topic. Um, as we like to say, this, you know, chaps Andrea's ass and grinds my gears. <laughs> so um, we want to talk about what it means to be organic. Um, we think feel that people don't often understand what that label means. We're often getting things jumbled with GMOs. So we're going to do our best to disentangle things and clarify. So let's just start off by saying that organic farming is a cultivation method, while GMOs are a breeding method. So when we talk about organic versus GMO, it's like we're comparing apples and oranges. Additionally, organic growers are allowed to use certain types of pesticides, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about pesticides on this episode, um, some in very high quantities. So some GMOs could claim to actually be safer than organics. So Andrew, did you want to give an example here? Sure. Yeah. So, so, you know, there's a genetically modified potato that's resistant to blight. So it doesn't actually need any substances that can be toxic like copper sulfate or any, any synthetic fungicide either that is often used to control blight um, in either conventional organic farming. Um, you know, typically um, in a perfect world, genetic, genetically modified organisms could be used with organic farming methods. Um, but, but ultimately I think the big takeaway from the GMO episode is that, you know, they're not, they're not direct comparisons of each other. There are some overlaps in, in the context of, you know, farming measures. Um, but of course, uh, we, we did promise to get back to addressing the term organic. Right. And actually, we have so much to say about this that it's likely that um, this will also be at least a two-part episode uh, because there is a lot to say. And really, we get so many questions about organic, so we want to make sure that we do this topic uh, justice. So let's set the stage a little bit. What are we talking about? The organic product industry is a $50.1 billion with a B dollar industry. That's as of 2020. And this industry didn't even exist until 2002. So for some perspective, in 2010, just 10 years ago, it was worth $26.7 billion. So we're talking major growth here. This really underscores the enthusiasm of consumers with regard to this little word. But what does the organic label actually mean? So per the USDA certification, 
Produce can be called organic if it's certified to have grown on soil that has no prohibited substances applied for three years prior to harvest. So what do we mean when we're talking about prohibited substances? Andrew, do you want to talk about this? Sure. So, so I know you do. I, I really, really do. Um, so, so, you know, are we talking about pesticides? One of the biggest myths about organic products and organic produce is that they are pesticide free. Um, I want to be clear here. Organic farming uses tons of pesticides and fungicides. Um, there are over 20 chemicals commonly used in the growing and processing of organic crops that are approved by the U.S. organic standards. Now, something interesting um, is that the volume of chemicals used in organic farming are typically not recorded or or monitored by USDA or U.S. organic standards, um, which is really surprising because pesticides that are typically viewed as organic are, are generally less effective than synthetic pesticides. So we're actually generally using larger amounts of them. Um, so it's really interesting to me that we monitor this in the context of conventional farming, which can use synthetic pesticides, but not in the context of organic farming, which, is, which uses um, these other pesticides that we're going to talk more about. That is such a common misconception. We hear that all the time. And I'm so glad. I feel like we should say it louder for the people in the back, right? <laughs> please, so please. Organic products, it, it, simply because something is organic, it does not mean that it is pesticide free. Just want to yeah. really highlight that here. Absolutely. So. Um, I know, Andrew, you were just teaching me that um, according to the National Center for Food and Agricultural Policy, the top two organic fungicides are copper and sulfur, and they're used at a rate of four and 34 pounds per acre. Uh, that was back in 1971. Um, in contrast, the synthetic fungicides are only required at a rate of 1.6 pounds per acre from 2.5 times to 20 times less than the amount of the organic alternatives. More than that, many of these organic pesticides are actually more toxic, especially when used at higher levels required for adequate control. Andrew, did yeah, you it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a huge misconception. Um, you know, so let's talk a little bit about what, a, what an organic pesticide is. So, so often you'll see something labeled as organic or natural with regard to pesticides or fungicides. And what this means is just that they are products that are derived from sources in nature with no chemical, little to no chemical alteration. Um, in contrast, synthetic pesticides are products that are produced with chemical alteration. So that could be something that is completely lab-derived or synthesized in the lab, or it could be a natural pesticide that is altered in some way to change it. Um, and, and I want to be clear here. All pesticides and all fungicides and all piscicides are toxic. The word side or the, the um, you know, the ending side means to kill. So these things are all chemicals of some nature that are killing things. Um, and something I think people forget, again, the dose makes the poison. That's true in any substance that we ever encounter. Um, just because something is procured from nature um, doesn't necessarily mean it's safer. And in fact, many naturally produced pesticides are often deadlier, have a higher risk than synthetic options. Some of the modifications during the synthesis of these synthetic pesticides are 
adjusting them so they're more specific, meaning they target only specific organisms to kill, um, and they're able to be used at lower concentrations so they pose a lower risk. So I think something that we need to reiterate is just because something is labeled organic or natural does not mean it is safer or unable to cause harm. And that's harm to people, harm to animals, harm to the environment. Um, Botanically derived pesticides are not always safer. And in fact, many of them can be more dangerous. And Andrea, I know you're going to give us a few examples. Um, And before we do that, I just want to let you know, to expect a gift from me, we have to get you a t-shirt that says the dose makes the poison. (laughs) (laughs) But that really is such an important point to make. Um, Okay, so can you give us a few examples? Yeah, sure. So some examples of organically approved um, fungicides and pesticides are um, nicotine sulfate, methyl bromide, copper sulfate, rotenone, and pyrethrins. So I'll talk a little bit about a couple of these. Um, There's many more. As I mentioned, there are over 20 um, organically approved pesticides. um, And of course, many of them have far-reaching effects. But um, nicotine sulfate. So nicotine is a natural compound, right? Um, We know tobacco leaves produce it. And and ultimately, it's approved for organic farming. And it's used to control pests like aphids, thrips, mites, and other insects. Um, It's it's very interesting because a lot of pro-organic campaigners often argue against the use of a synthetic pesticide called uh, neonicotinoids. Because they say that those synthetic pesticides use nicotine, but but nicotine sulfate is also using nicotine, and that's an organically approved and, and promoted by organic farmers. So there's a little bit of uh, of a you know a disconnect there. But but ultimately, if we look at nicotine sulfate, um, this is an organic approved known neurotoxin. The LD50 of nicotine sulfate is 50 to 60 milligrams of this compound per kilogram, which is which is quite toxic if you think about it. Um, in the US, nicotine sulfate has a danger warning on the label. It is a nor- neurotoxin. It interferes with neurotransmitter signaling um, between nerves and muscles. Um, we've seen some data um, that nicotine sulfate can cause abnormalities in laboratory animal offspring. So it's causing birth defects and other genetic disorders. Um, and there was a study done by New Jersey State that identified that nicotine sulfate poisoning of gardeners that farmed organically um, led to increased blood pressure, irregular heart rates, and in some cases, there were deaths associated with it. So certainly not something to mess around with, but this is a routinely used organically approved pesticide. Um, Another example is rotenone. So rotenone is uh, another pesticide that's really, it's it's one of the heaviest used uh, organic pesticides. It's been used copiously for decades. It's touted as, again, being natural. It's extremely toxic at at relatively low levels. And interestingly, it was actually temporarily discontinued um, as a pesticide in 2005 to 2010, but was actually reapproved in 2010. So it still is being used. Um, it, It kills all sorts of things. It's routinely used as, as a pesticide, which is a fish killer um, in fish uh, fishery waters. So it's used to kill species of fish that you don't want in your farm fishery waters, um, really underscoring the fact that this is not just a pesticide, but it also is killing, you know, um, organisms, you know, animal organisms as well. Um, 
Another example would be the pyrethrins. So these are chemicals derived from chrysanthemum flowers. So again, they're considered natural. They are neurotoxic. They are highly neurotoxic. So neurotoxicity means it, it's, it's affecting, it's killing, it's providing toxicity to your nervous system. Um, it's highly neurotoxic to bees, which is incredibly important to keep in mind because bees are critical pollinators for all of our species, right? Um, and and of course, it's neurotoxic to other insects, um, but we've also observed neurotoxicity in other organisms as well. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Um, Copper sulfate is something that we mentioned very briefly before when we talked about the rates of uh, pesticide application. So this is, again, viewed as a natural pesticide, but is typically used at levels up to 20-fold more than the synthetic alternatives. Um, and this is um, used as a fungicide, and this has significantly higher toxicity than the synthetic counterpart. So the LD50, which is the, the 50% lethal dose, is um, 300 milligrams per kilograms for copper sulfate. The synthetic alternative, uh, Mancozeb, as an example, has a LD50 of between 4,500 to 11,200 milligrams per kilogram. So that means that copper sulfate is at least 15 times more toxic. Not only that, does it, it also has to be used in larger quantities compared to the synthetic alternatives such as Mancozeb. Um, copper sulfate not only is toxic to fungus, but also to fish. It can be toxic to humans. But another thing is that it persists in the groundwater and in the environment long term. So I use these examples because people often don't realize that these naturally derived chemicals are incredibly toxic at the doses needed to be used to control pests. That is such an important point. And I just want to recap everything because you just said a, a lot of words, <laughs> yes. a lot of very smart words. So again, we're really focused right now on this myth that organic products, do, uh, you know, th that organic products are pesticide free. So first and foremost, that's not true. They are not pesticide free. It's that, um, you know, they use organic or natural pesticides. And the point that, that you're making, Andrea, is that, well, you made a bunch of different points. But the first thing I took away from what you were saying is that, Often the natural pesticides need to be used in higher quantities to be effective. And as, as you were just saying, it's the dose that makes the poison. Um, and you just walked us through a bunch of different natural pesticides um, and how at certain doses they can actually, you know, they can lead to these adverse side effects and in certain cases actually lead to death. Is that an appropriate recap? I don't want to miss anything. Yeah, yeah. I think I think um, you know one one point to make is that um, you know these are the concentrations that they need to be used at in order to effectively control the pests that they're being applied for. Absolutely. So. A study back uh, just last year in 2019 in environmental research makes a claim that people who switched to organic foods primarily had a decrease in urine output of pesticides. But Andrea, I know you were really uh, 
I don't <laughs> you were appalled when you when you saw that they only looked at pesticides in conventional farming. They weren't looking for organic pesticides. So of course, it stands to reason that you're not going to detect something if you're not testing for it, right? So we have <laughs> to see a study that actually compares all of the pesticides, both organic and synthetic. Um, there was another study uh, back in 2010 in PLOS One that compared six different pesticides. Oh, Jess, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Before we get to that one, yeah. um, you know, this, this study in environmental research is really, um, it's frustrating because it's used by people that are proponents of organic, um, you know, organic products, or organic farming as evidence that they're, they're healthier, they're better for people. And, you know, the data, you know, if, if you guys, you know, have listened to us at all, we're, we're, we're huge proponents of appropriate study design. So, you know, they're only looking at a small selection of pesticide, you know, excretion. And those are ones that are used in conventional farming, meaning they're synthetic pesticides. They didn't actually screen for, you know, the vast array of organically approved pesticides. So it's, it's very frustrating that this is used as evidence when it, of course, is not the full picture. That is such an important point to make. Thank you for for jumping in there. Right. You know, it's like you know, you're making claims that you can't make based on the study that you designed, right? If you're not testing for something, then you can't make these statements about about them, right? Um, so really important point to make. Thank you for jumping in. Um, I was just going to talk about this other study um, in PLOS One back in 2010 that compared six different pesticides used to control aphids on soybeans, four synthetic pesticides, and two organic that claimed to be quote-unquote, better. The study found that, one, synthetic pesticides were more effective at controlling aphids, but the two organic pesticides tested killed other non-target species, like natural predators of the aphids, such as the multicolored Asian lady beetle and the insidious flower bug. So what does this mean? It means that not only are they less effective, but they actually have a greater environmental impact and are more ecologically damaging. Anything to... Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's like a, a one-two punch here. You know, you have right. to use more of them in order to effectively control the, the aphid pest, but now you're also killing other insects that naturally control aphid pests. So you're right. you're ultimately doing more damage than if you simply used a, a lower amount of a, a proven synthetic and effective pesticide. Mm -hmm. So Andrea, I think you wanted to speak briefly about um, this other interesting tidbit. Yeah. So <laughs> something that's really interesting is that, you know, synthetic pesticides are, are tested and evaluated for toxicity and efficacy, um, whereas organic pesticides are not. And I found this really interesting because this is very similar to the controversy around GMO versus non-GMO foods, where GMOs undergo rigorous amounts of testing for nutritional benefit, um, you know, no compromise on, you know, health and safety, et cetera, whereas non-GMO food products have no regulations whatsoever, um, or a similar comparison between, you know, legitimate medications, vaccines, et cetera, that go through FDA approval and review and USDA monitoring versus nutritional supplements that don't even have to list all of the ingredients on their labels. Um, I just find it, you know, very intriguing that we're seeing the same sort of, um, you know, 
comparison here where we know very well what is in a synthetic pesticide and what the effect of those pesticides are, whereas many organic pesticides are not and generally have less regulations associated with them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, synthetic pesticide, you know, the word synthetic, it just means that a sub- it's a substance that's been formulated or manufactured using a chemical process or, you know, by a process that changes a substance. So there are many synthetic pesticides that are simply, you know, modifications of an organic or natural pesticide. Um, and I, and I, you know, we're not saying that synthetic synthetic pesticides are great either, um, but they're generally, again, modified from the natural version to either be more effective, more targeted against the pest of interest. So like we saw with the, the, um, the aphid study, the synthetic pesticides were not killing the other insects like the Asian lady beetle and the insidious flower bug. Um, or they're able to be used in, in lower quantities. Um, you know, we want ultimately everything needs to be used in moderation. Um, and again, you know, using GMOs that are engineered to produce natural pest resistant or repellent in conventional farming negates the need for synthetic pesticides too. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of an added benefit of GMOs. I love how passionate you are about this topic, Andrea. (laughs) So, okay. So pesticides are allowed, but certain ones aren't. So let's talk about what else is considered with this organic certification. Um, and what about non-produce products? So, you know, animals and animal products. Mm -hmm. So, USDA certified organic foods are grown and processed according to federal guidelines addressing, among many factors, soil quality, animal raising practices, pest and weed control, and use of additives. So for organic meat, regulations require that animals are raised in living conditions accommodating their natural behaviors. So, you know, the ability for them to graze on pasture. Um, They're fed 100% organic feed and forage and not administered antibiotics or hormones. And Andrea, I know you and I, um, we want to speak more about the implications of administering antibiotics and hormones. I think that uh, there are some misconceptions that that's, you know, automatically a bad thing. Um, And there have been some myths swirling about how antibiotics used in animals has has affected humans. Um, uh, Antibiotics and hormones, excuse me. So more on that in a future episode. When it comes to processed multi-ingredient foods, the USDA organic standards specify additional considerations. So regulations prohibit organically processed foods from containing artificial preservatives, colors, or flavors, and require that their ingredients are organic with some minor exceptions. So for example, processed organic foods may contain some approved non-agricultural non-agricultural ingredients like enzymes in yogurt, pectin in fruit jams, or baking soda in baked goods. Andrew, did you want to jump in here or I can keep rolling? Um, yeah, yeah, I can, <laughs> sure, I can jump in. So um, so typically if you have a kind of a processed prepackaged food that says they're made with organic, you know, whatever that the thing happens to be, you know, organic wheat, whatever, this means that they contain at least 70% um, organically produced ingredients of whatever ingredient is specified. Um, and then that also requires that the remaining non-organic ingredients be produced without using the prohibitive 
related practices. So like I mentioned, genetic engineering, um, but they could be, they could be, um, they could have substances that would not be allowed in 100% organic products. So they won't have that USDA seal, but they'll have some sort of accredited certifying label on there. And again, with organic foods, um, you know, none of them are, are grown or handled using genetically modified organisms, which is something that the organic standards prohibit. Um, again, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about GMOs themselves. So if you want to learn more about them specifically, um, tune into our two previous GMO episodes. Love the plug. And yes, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because they're, they're not exactly the same, but they kind of cross over. So, you know, as, as we mentioned, GMO is a breeding, um, you know, um, a breeding method of organisms, whereas, and it, and it really is not an all encompassing there. It's, it's kind of cherry picked what fits under the umbrella of being classified as GMO. Um, But, you know, they're not allowed to be used in organic farming, even Mm -hmm. though, you know, organic farming is very separate. It's a cultivation technique. No, it's such an important point to make. I I feel every time I hear the word organic, I hear, you know, non-GMO in the same breath. So I think it's really important to make that distinction. Um, Okay, let's talk about cost. (laughs) So, A consumer report analysis found that on average, organic food is 47% more expensive than regular food. And the USDA numbers are similar. Um, Of course, organic food is a bit more expensive to make than regular food, but how much more expensive? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive of rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A study in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences found that it's actually only 5 to 7% more expensive to produce. So the price difference is not really justified. Again, remember, we're, we're paying about 50% more for organic versus regular, and uh, it seems that really the, the actual cost is only about 5 to 7% more. So what does that mean? Um, it means, again, that, you know, not quite sure where that cost difference is coming from. Um, seems like things are being marked up just for that organic label. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, organic farming has become profitable, right? So much more so than regular farming, because it seems like organic is somehow synonymous with luxury. It's like a luxury food item. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. And, and you know, it, it it's it's very frustrating. I'm sure, Jess, you, you probably feel a lot of this as a public health scientist looking at things like public health disparities, because it becomes this exclusionary, you know, access where people that are not affluent, you know, are stigmatized in in a way for buying conventional food where, you know, we, the science, and we'll, we're going to get more into that, but, you know, there's really, you know, no added benefit um, with regard to nutrition, health, et cetera, 
um, certainly not with regard to pesticides in consuming conventional uh, produce. Absolutely. So you're bringing up a really important topic here. And it's, you know, what is the nutritional advantage? Or is there a nutritional advantage to organic versus conventional uh, counterparts? Mm -hmm. So again, just to recap, you know, we've talked about how, yes, there are fewer synthetic pesticides and fertilizers and organic foods are free of hormones and antibiotics, which we're going to discuss um, in a lot greater detail in a future episode. They don't appear to have a nutritional advantage over their conventional counterparts. There have been a number of studies examining the macro and micronutrient content, um, but whether whether organically or conventionally grown, the foods are really similar with regard to vitamins, minerals, and carbohydrates. So or according to the USDA data, organic foods again, have fewer pesticide residues than conventionally grown produce, but the amounts for both types of produce are within the level for safe consumption. So, you know, it's really unclear if the pesticides used in organic farming are actually safer than non-synthetic pesticides used in conventional farming. Yeah. And Jess, can I jump in here too? Because again, I think we need to reiterate that a lot of times these, these these residues that are being tested for, again, are ones that are used in conventional farming, but not used in organic farming. So, you know, unless you're testing also for the pesticide residues that are used in organic farming, you're going to be selectively reporting data. Um, And I think, you know, there's enough data here that now demonstrates that many pesticides that are used in organic farming are actually more dangerous than those used in conventional farming, particularly at the dose required for effective control of pests. Mm -hmm. That's such an important point. Um, Okay, so our herd from the herd, and really we hear this, I don't know, a hundred times a week is, you know, isn't organic healthier? So again, there's very little scientific evidence to support any health benefits for organic products. And actually, there's some growing evidence that a diet rich in organic products isn't actually better for you. So I'll kick things off, Andrea, by talking about a couple of meta-analyses that I came across and then turn things over to you. Um, So there was a a meta-analysis published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition back in 2009. Um, They found that there was no nutrient difference in organic versus conventional foods. Uh, More recent studies came to the same conclusion. So another study in 2012 in the Annals of Internal Medicine found slightly higher phosphorus levels in the organic produce, and a 2014 study in the British Journal of Nutrition found higher antioxidant levels and lower cadmium levels in organic food. So while these are good things, the differences were not significant. Um, The 2012 study also found that there was a lack of strong evidence that organic foods are significantly more, excuse me, more nutritious than conventional foods. In 2012, there was another massive meta-analysis, this one published by researchers out of Stanford. They analyzed 240 studies, 17 comparing populations consuming organic and conventional diets, and 223 that compared either the nutrient levels or the bacterial, fungal, or pesticide contamination of various products. And we're talking about fruits, vegetables, grains, meats, milk, poultry, and eggs, grown organically and conventionally. 
they reported very little significant difference in health benefits between organic and conventional foods, as well as no consistent differences in the vitamin content of organic products. In fact, there was only one nutrient, phosphorus, that was significantly higher in organic versus conventionally grown produce. Protein and fat were were very similar uh, for organic versus conventional, although there was a significant difference reported in organic milk, which contained higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids. Um, there's a lot of variation between farming practices, right, and, and different factors that are important in predicting nutritional quality and harms. So just want to point out here that there are limitations to this research. Um, in particular, a limitation noted in, in the Stanford study include the heterogeneity of the studies they reviewed due to differences in testing methods, physical factors affecting foods such as weather and soil type, and great variation among organic farming methods. So with regard to the latter, there may be specific organic practices, for example, the way that manure fertilizer, which is a risk for bacterial contamination, is used and handled, that could yield a safer product of higher nutritional quality. Andrea, can you help me with some takeaways here? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, several meta-analyses and additional studies kind of investigating the differences between organic versus conventional food, um, not just produce, but also animal products, as well as um, including meat, milk, and eggs, um, identified that... Um, there seems to be maybe a, a difference in, in one micronutrient phosphorus here, but generally speaking, there's no nutritional differences in um, macronutrient composition, in micronutrient composition, protein content, fat content, um, and, and no substantial difference in nutritional benefit in organic foods as compared to conventional foods. Um, it's, it's important to keep in mind that even though, you know, we we're using organic as a, as a broad term here, um, there are, you know, there are factory organic farms, right? There are farms that are, you know, not using uh, optimal practices. And so when you're looking at these comparisons, um, you always want to keep in mind that there, you know, there may be an organic farm that, that is, you know, doing a better job per se at being um, conscious of some of these considerations, but there may be others that are, are not. Um, you mentioned something at the end here, you know, about, about um, producing manure fertilizer. Um, and, and it's interesting here because of course, organic farming cannot use antibiotics. So, um, and that's true for, you know, in their fertilizer, in the animals they're rearing, all of those sorts of things. So it's definitely something that warrants, I think, an additional discussion on the implications of, of not using antibiotics in organic farming versus is using um, antibiotics in conventional farming. Um, things that come to mind to discuss are going to be, you know, um, mastitis, which is an infection in the udder of a cow for dairy milk and things like that. So definitely something for a future episode. Mm-hmm. We definitely have lots more to say, uh, but I think now is a good cut point. Um, I'll turn things over to you to, to close us out, Andrea, but um, we we want to wish you guys again a very happy and healthy holiday season. Um, I believe this will be our last episode airing in 2020. Is oh, that yeah. right? I think oh, so. Yeah. Should we do the whole cheesy, you know, 
see you next year. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I had to throw that in there. But um, but in all seriousness, I know it's been a very tough year for all of us. Um, We're so grateful that you guys are tuning in and we will see you next year. Excellent. All right. So, you know, kind of to summarize, and of course, we're going to talk more about, um, you know, nutrition and things like that. But um, the big takeaway is obviously there are reasons that people choose organic. Maybe there's a taste preference. Um, You know, obviously there's some considerations with regard to animal welfare. Um, But from a scientific point of view, organic foods are not superior. Um, Obviously, they're still using copious amounts of pesticides, um, you know, and certainly not necessarily, um, you know, having higher nutritional benefits. In general, people should aim for healthier diets overall and consume appropriate amounts of fruits, vegetables, and other healthy food sources, however they are grown. Um, We know that Americans generally don't consume the recommended amounts of lots of macro and micronutrients. So that's really what we're aiming for, balanced and healthy diets. Um, Thanks for joining us today. We hope you learned a thing or two. And if you like our pod, please share with your friends and family and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Next week on the pod, which is going to be the first one in 2021, um, we're going to continue our discussion of organic products. So we're going to talk more about nutrition. We're going to talk about the Dirty Dozen. Uh, We're also going to cover things like environmental impact. We will also continue to provide updates on COVID-19, the vaccine progress, and all of those sorts of topics on our social media accounts. So be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Unbiased SciPod. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no nonsense, just science. Yeah, oh, I am a science.